0: Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we'll hear about how Black Restaurant Week is celebrating Black-owned restaurants across the Midwest. Then, we'll take a look at how a California winery has found itself in rural Missouri. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Teddy Mallorca. Teddy, how are you doing this week?
1: Siggy, I am doing well. You know, it's really starting to feel like September outside. We're starting to get a little bit of fall weather amidst this Missouri heat, so I'm excited about it.
0: I am too. Yesterday, I was walking past the Student Center, and I saw leaves on the ground, so I feel like that's a sign that fall is coming.
1: Agreed. It's starting to get some really pretty weather and really pretty scenes on campus. Are you ready to get into this week's headlines?
0: Absolutely. Why don't you start us off?
1: Sounds good. The Missouri legislature will hold a special session on income tax relief Wednesday, September 14th. The legislature voted to reschedule last week, and the session will decide the fate of the income tax cut proposal. Democrats argue the delay is a sign that Republicans are unable to come to a consensus on the issue.
0: Missourians will know next week about whether or not recreational marijuana will be on the ballot in November. A circuit court judge has until September 13th to make a decision regarding a lawsuit attempting to block the ballot measure, And a spokeswoman for Governor Parson said the legislature's special session next week will not include discussion of legalizing recreational marijuana.
1: Earlier this week, Bayer won its fifth lawsuit over claims that the pesticide Roundup causes cancer. This case was the first with more than one plaintiff. Bayer has been navigating legal issues since its acquisition of CreveCore-based pesticide company Monsanto in 2018.
0: And just as Kansas legalized sports betting last week, the Kansas City Chiefs have made sports betting company BetMGM the football team's official sports betting partner. Partnership signage will appear at Arrowhead Stadium and special content will be available on the Chiefs' digital channels. Sports betting still remains legal in Missouri. Moving into our first story, Teddy, do you know what you're having for lunch today?
1: Well, I guess now that you mention it, I gotta think back, but I think I packed myself a sandwich and a granola bar today. What about you, Siggy?
0: You know, I'm not entirely sure yet, but I do know I'm hungry, especially after hearing all about Black Restaurant Week.
1: You can say that again. So when is Black Restaurant Week exactly?
0: So Black Restaurant Week is happening now in the Midwest through September 11th. It's celebrating Black restaurant owners across the Midwest, including right here in Missouri.
1: Gotcha. That's awesome to hear about the support for Black-owned restaurants right here in Missouri.
0: Totally. The goal of the week is to drive awareness to the stories of Black restaurant owners and entrepreneurs. Missouri Business Alert's Emily Hood sat down with Warren Luckett, the founder of Black Restaurant Week, and Steve Ewing, the owner of Steve's Hot Dogs in St. Louis, to talk more about the meaning of the week and ways to support Black-owned restaurants.
2: So first, I want to start with a question for both of you. Warren, can you tell us a bit about what Black Restaurant Week means to you? I'll start with Warren, and then Steve, I'll have you go right after answer that same question.
3: Yeah, Black Black Restaurant Week to me is is an opportunity uh, for the Black community to really just celebrate the diversity of, of cuisine within our culture. Uh, Black Restaurant Week celebrates the diversity of African, uh, Black American, as well as Caribbean cuisine. A lot of times, when you think about uh, Black food and the history of Black food, we've we've been put in, into this box, and we're really not monolithic when it comes to to our our, our food culture and so what I'm most passionate about is the opportunity to really just showcase the diversity of of cuisine from from our community as well as celebrate the historical contributions uh that that you know that I think that the black Americans have, have played uh to the culinary scene in this country for uh for quite quite some time
2: and then Steve I'll have you answer that same question there
4: yeah so I think it's uh I think it's awesome and super important that it shines a spotlight on a lot of businesses that maybe before we were doing, you know, this, that, that would not get the spotlight. So we're doing this all across the country, which is fantastic. So um, there's a, there's always a handful of businesses in any community that seem to get the spotlight. And, um, you know, a couple of times a year, we put the spotlight on businesses in smaller communities that don't always get make the news or don't always do um do big in the press, whatever. So this this gets people to put those restaurants on their lists of places that they want to try, um, and they do actually do that. People make these lists.
2: And Warren, when we talked last last week too, you talked about how restaurants and black restaurants can serve as a community builder and a place for communities to gather. Can you tell tell me a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah, definitely. For us, you know, growing up the dinner table was always a place that we could could really have conversations, you know, as a family, as friends, as, as really community, the, the dinner table was a place where you would talk about politics, you would talk about religion, you would talk about things that you don't traditionally talk about. And, and so for us during 2016, when there was so much, uh, kind of just uh, so much racial uncertainty and, 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 and injustice going on within the country, uh, we want to use food as a platform to, to bring everyone together. And so uh, that was our hope, you know, to was to really just kind of use food as that medium to have conversations about about kind of the culture, about the climate that was going on, and have have some of the harder conversations over over a good meal.
2: Speaking of that community, Steve, is there any particular memory that you have running Steve's hot dogs that really showcase the power that you have to bring together a community, or or taught you something new about the St. Louis community?
4: We we realized that we were truly part of the location, the community is when we we were ready to close down in 2020 at two locations gone and they're both kind of cannibalizing each other. And so I was kind of getting tired. And so we were like, let's close it down. So I'm announced to the public that we were closing in for about a week straight. I think everybody in St. Louis came out to support us. And so that that let me know that they did not want us to go
2: I want to take a moment again to thank our panelists, Warren and Steve. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Many wineries in California's wine-growing region age their Cabernet Sauvignon in barrels imported from France. But Silver Oak Winery, located in California's iconic Napa Valley and Alexander Valley, gets its barrels from a town of about 600 people in mid-Missouri. The oak cooperage in Higby manufactures about 90% of all barrels used to age Silver Oak's award-winning Cabernet Sauvignon. For the winery's team out in California, there's just something about the Missouri white oak the cooperage uses in its barrels, according to Tony LeBlanc, Silver Oak's president.
2: We've tried
5: Arkansas and Ohio and Kentucky and uh, uh, wood and, and uh, Minnesota wood, and in, in, in our blind tastings, we always seem to... Gravitate uh, to, to choosing as the, the most complementary the the wood you know the wood that we see from northern Missouri. So it's it's really just a a,
1: a, a symbiotic relationship with our wine. The oak was founded by Higby resident Dale Kirby and his father-in-law as A and K Cooperage in nineteen seventy-two. Back then, their business was in keg production. After a request from Silver Oak, the Cooperage made its first wine barrel. The relationship between the two businesses grew from there by 2000 silver oak owned half of the cooperage and in 2015 it purchased the business from the kirby family after acquiring the business silver oak rebranded a and k to the oak cooperage the oak was the first major business in Higby related to the alcohol and drinks industry now the town is also home to a winery two distilleries and a smaller cooperage the oak's master cooper and operations manager danny orton credits that to kirby We built several businesses in Higby. According to Orton, the coopering and alcohol industry is one of the biggest in town. The cooperage has grown just like the industry in Higby has. Today, the business brings in an annual revenue of about $2.5 million. The oak, like many businesses across the country, is certainly not immune to inflation that has forced prices sky high. Orton shares some of the details
5: has gone up tremendously, 25 percent wood, 25 percent labor. It's gone up quite a bit.
1: The price of producing a barrel has gone up, too, increasing as much as 25 percent. Earlier this year, it cost the oak $24 to make the average barrel. Last month, it was $32, Orton said. The oak has had to mitigate costs by increasing its prices. Shipping costs have also increased amid a truck driver shortage.
5: In January, we had... A load go out for 4,800. It's right now at 5, 5,800. You know, we had some quoted over 7,000. You know, so yeah, it's just all over the board.
1: A worker shortage has affected the business as well. While the Oak is currently fully staffed with 10 employees, it has struggled to find workers when Cooper positions are open. The time it takes to fill a position has more than doubled. Orton said it's pretty hard to hire for a good position right now. For other positions, it's a different story. When the Cooperage was hiring for an administrative assistant earlier this year, there were so many applications, it took three weeks to go through the hiring process. But despite these price increases and labor issues, the Oak has its eyes on what's up ahead. The Cooperage has plans to remain in Higby and grow its operations.
5: You know, we're small. We know we're small. We don't have any interest in getting huge. You know, we, of course, want to raise our production up, you know, 15%, but uh, we never want to be that cooperage that runs 80, 90 barrels a
1: day, you know, like a lot of cooperages do. After half a century in Higby, the oak has grown from just one building to a compound of facilities.
5: It's a unique place, you know, it's, it's a unique place. This has always been part of Higby.
0: With our blocks wrapped up, it is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Teddy, what word have you chosen this week?
1: This week, I have chosen startup jobs.
0: Okay, and why is that in the news?
1: Well, startups in Missouri created over 40,000 jobs in 2021, according to the most recent Show Me Jobs report from Kansas City nonprofit SourceLink. This is 11% more jobs than startups created in 2020. The report categorizes startups as new companies that have 20 or fewer employees.
0: Wow, so what types of startups are most common in Missouri right now?
1: Well, the healthcare and social assistance industry had the highest number of new startups, with around 9,000 jobs created last year. Tech has also seen an increase in startups, adding around 1,300 new jobs in Missouri in 2021.
0: Got it. And I'm curious about the role tech startups play in the economy, especially in light of the pandemic.
1: The report says the jobs created by tech startups actually offset the job losses in the industry between 2019 and 2020. And tech startups also tend to pay their employees more. According to the report, there was a 28% increase in salaries for tech startup employees. Across all startups, wages increased 17%. That's all I got this week. What's your word this week?
0: My word of the week is business travelers.
1: Interesting. And what's going on with them?
0: So air travel has been wonky in the past couple of years due to the pandemic and rising prices. While leisure and recreational travelers have returned to airports at a pre-pandemic rate, business travelers are what airlines are missing.
1: Interesting. And why is that?
0: Well, the pandemic has brought about a new wave of digital communication. Many conventions and conferences are offering hybrid or virtual formats, allowing employees to forego traveling and companies to forego travel expenses.
1: That makes sense. So why does business travel matter so much for airlines?
0: Because business travelers typically pay more in fares, their absence is more impactful to airlines. The Global Business Travel Association says corporate travel won't return to pre-pandemic levels until mid-2026, which is 18 months later than they had originally predicted. It is now time for our closing thought. Here's Steve Ewing on what he's learned from his time owning a restaurant.
4: I guess probably the biggest lesson I've learned is that when you open up a shop or a restaurant in a neighborhood or in, in a city, you become um, you become part of it. You, that's you're now part of that community. So, um, what I've learned is people come out they support you because they love the food, but they also they like what you do for, for, for the community. so and they, and they want people want their community to thrive. and so there's this, this relationship with you and the people in your in your neighborhood.
0: Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing music for this episode. From my co-host Teddy Mallorca, editors Cole Miller, Katie Quinn, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacey, I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.